Isn't God good? I want to thank Dr. Ballard and the, and the choir. I, one of my favorite movie scenes of all time is from the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And it's as the church is processing to the river for the baptism. And there's this amazing song that they're singing. And as they were coming in today, I just got those goosebumps, right? That this is what's happening in, the, in our midst today. Would you join me in prayer? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Like all good pastors, I always have a thing going on here to keep time, so to make sure we're on track. It's been the excuse of choice for centuries. In fact, I want you to imagine with me that it's emblazoned across two enormous wood doors that stand before us this morning. God told me so. The carved letters arrogantly proclaim to us. And as we open the doors, we enter and find ourselves in this dimly lit art gallery. And there are a number of portraits on either side. Each one is a vignette dedicated to the life of someone who was committed to doing God's will. And we start with a portrait that still is fresh. We can see the fresh strokes and we can smell the paint. As we look at the portrait, the plaque underneath says, Omar Mateen, the executor of the Pulse nightclub. And we come to the next one and it says, Osama bin Laden, scourge of the West. The portrait next to this one says, David Koresh, self-proclaimed Messiah. And that one there, that's Ayatollah Khomeini. And this one, this is Adolf Hitler. And that one, that's Father Abraham. And this one, it's a white-headed member of the, wait a minute. Let's go back and look at that last slide just a minute. I mean, is that really him? Sandals, robe, beard, knife, sunbound? Yep, it's him. And it's all because, you guessed it, God told him so. And I'd like us to take just a few moments to explore what's happening here. Maybe it's the, the hollow look in Abram's eyes. Maybe it's just the atrocious serenity that's found on Isaac's faith as he's waiting to die. But there's something that compels us to step into this picture, to explore it for just a few moments. I mean, what would it take to follow the command of a God who asks us to sacrifice the thing that's most important in our lives? Now, the reality is Abram had heard God speak before. He was familiar with the voice. At one point, God had said, Abram, I want you to go to a land that you don't even know anything about. And Abram, amazingly enough, said, okay, let's go. And much to the scorn of his family and friends, he gathered all his possessions, and he went out into this new land. I mean, back then, the voice was so reliable, so certain, so full of hope. So much so that Abram believed with everything that he had that following this God was enough. 
And when asked why, his response, I think, was simple. Because God told me so. Oh, sure, there have been tough times along the way. I mean, there have been times, especially when Abram thought God had forgotten him, and he took matters into his own hands. But even in those moments, the unseen voice continued to guide. But there was that one part of the promise that just never made sense. I mean, after all, Abram and Sarah's doctors were pretty adamant that 90-something-year-olds don't normally give birth, right? And so as Abram is trying to live into this promise, he kept wondering, how can my offspring be more numerous than the stars if I don't even have one offspring? And then the impossible happened. The voice spoke once again, only this time in the voice, Abram heard divine comedy. It spoke of things so preposterous that he couldn't help but laugh. The voice said, your wife Sarah shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Well, of course, what else would we call him? This child of promise, this child of hope, this child of laughter. And for Abram, in this small child, lay all the hope in the world. For God had fulfilled his promise. And from now on, everything would be all right. And it was. This child was all that his name implied and more. And as he grew, so did Abram's trust in Yahweh. For in Isaac, God's plan and purpose were completely vindicated. The hope that the voice had spoke of, the promise, it was certain. It was reliable. And then suddenly, like thunder on a clear blue day, the voice spoke again. Abram, here I am, Lord. This time, when the voice spoke, it was far different than what he'd heard before. It was the same voice. And yet this time, it uttered something frightening something terrible, incomprehensible. And this announcement was anything but humorous. Abram, take your only son Isaac, whom you love, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. I mean, the words today are appalling. We hear this and wonder, what kind of God would ask this of this? Could this possibly be the same voice of hope and love and promise that he had heard before? And all of a sudden, everything was not right. I mean, earlier, Abram had been asked to leave behind everything that he knew and loved. That was one thing. But now, he's being asked to leave behind his certainty in the very promises of God. And that's just rocking his world. I mean, for Abram, no longer is God this never-ending source of warm fuzzies. And no longer is he a doting grandfather who demands nothing in return. This is a God who demands sacrifice. And he spells obedience, K-I-L-L. And then of all things, we read in the story that Abraham obeyed. Without comment or debate, he simply gathers the things that are necessary, 
and taking his son and his servant, he sets out on this promise to slay the child of promise. I believe he walked stony and resolute, perhaps much like the condition of his heart in that moment. And he walks right through the doors of the Fanatics Hall of Fame. No longer sure that this voice is a friend. No longer sure that this voice can be trusted. He obeys nonetheless. And as he leaves the donkey at the foot of the mountain with his servant, I think in some ways he also leaves behind the certainties of his faith. And when Isaac asks, I see the wood, I see the fire, Dad, but where's the sacrifice? Abraham's response is incredibly ironic. God will provide the lamb, my son. God had provided, and yet now God is taking away. And so Abram stumbles ahead, intent on slaughtering all the hope in the world. As they reach the place of sacrifice, Abram builds an altar. He carefully arranges the wood. He binds his son and lays him there, preparing to slaughter him to God. And he raises the knife. And I'm convinced that it was only as his arms were at their full extension up and beginning the downward plunge that the voice speaks once again. Abram, do not lay your hand on this boy. And suddenly there's an angel there and he hears that disturbance in the bush and he sees the ram that is there that's trapped in the overgrowth. And I can only imagine in that moment that all the pent-up frustration, the confusion, the disappointments, all the emotions that he had been dealing with come spilling out as he recognizes what has just transpired. And Abraham shouts the only thing that he knows how to do in that moment. God has provided. God has provided here. Abraham shouts what before had been an ironic statement of faith has now become a certainty in his life, this dynamic confession that the voice is once again seen as trustworthy. But now, it's in an altogether new light. For you see, all the hope in the world is alive again. But no longer is it grounded in a son named Isaac. But the hope is grounded in a God named Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who will provide. And so Abram names this mountain, the Lord sees, or the Lord will provide. And for Abram, this is more than just a simple geographical designation. It's the spiritual reality in which he is living. God both sees and provides in the darkest moments of our lives. So do you see what this story is really about? Abram had to live out what it means to be a seeker after truth. The famous homiletician David Buttrick wrote that Abram's blind obedience was ultimately transformed into living faith. In the end, all the hope in the world was worthless apart from the giver of all hope. And this is why Isaac had to be sacrificed. 
dare I say it, brothers and sisters, this is why all false loves have to be sacrificed at the altar of authentic faith. Perhaps, just perhaps, your name is Abraham this morning. And it could be that God has begun challenging you recently to sacrifice those things which you consider to be the epitome of his blessing and promise in your life. And to be honest, it may make no sense whatsoever. And we wail and cry and ask why. And I'm convinced that at some time or another, all faith travelers have to come to this point in their decision. Will we continue to live by blind obedience alone? Or will our relationship with God be one of dynamic and ever-changing faith? It's far too easy to place all our hope in something other than God. And I don't know what it might be for you. A child, a spouse, that job you've been coveting forever, the hopes and dreams that have driven you to Asbury. I don't know what it might be. What could we be asked to sacrifice that would forever shatter our image of a safe, properly bounded God? And perhaps this morning, we need to rehear the words of Hebrews 11.1, which was read to us so well before. But this time, I want to read them from the message. Listen to these words. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation that makes everything in life worth living. You read that one more time. The fundamental fact of existence is that this type of trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. So for the reconciliation of those moments in our lives that seem to make no sense, for the times when God's call in our lives comes seemingly clothed in contradiction, we do not look to ourselves nor to our surroundings, but we look to the one who, though dead, still lives. For this is the key. The resurrection concerns the keeping of a promise when there is absolutely no ground for it. And it's in this hope that our faith is rooted. God will provide. Well, as we've been reminiscing, suddenly we notice there's a commotion at the end of the hallway. There's a bunch of people a little further down, and they're not kind of going to this exhibit like we've been, where it's like, who are these people? Why were they doing these things? These people are talking excitedly, animatedly. In fact, they're shouting, they're jumping up and down with joy, they're laughing. And we have to ask, in this morbid exhibit of pictures and portraits we've just seen, what could cause such joy? As we get closer, the picture that we see stuns and amazes us. And at once we understand. It's the portrait of a lamb who was killed for all the world to see. The foreground is dark, shadowy, but in the background, the sun is starting to rise on a new day. And the plaque beneath this one says, God himself will provide the lamb. 
brothers and sisters, he has. He has given us the sacrifice that allows us to be set free from the bondage of sin and blind obedience and allows us to be set free for the life of true, unfettered faith. And so I say to you this morning, be free. Be free in your faith. And once we are free, we can in turn join with Abram and Sarah in faithful laughter, howling till our sides hurt. Amen.